and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we are closing out an era. This is our final episode of Season 5, King on Screen, wherein we are going to give our Golden King Awards. I don't like that name, but it's the best I could come up with. Do you have a better name? If you no, come up with a no, better name, tell no. me, please. This is, this is just fine. <laughs> I like it, as a matter of fact. So we are going to talk a little bit about our favorite performances and our favorite... Uh, movies and TVs of the Kingiverse that we have watched Mm -hmm. uh, and give our little accolades, hoorays. And then we are going to talk a little bit about what we are doing for season six because we have come up with some things. Before we get into the meat of this episode, which may be long, and you you said, do we want to do a two-episode thing, which I think that we're probably going to get through it fairly quickly but i might be very wrong about mm. that so before we get started do how how was your week how was my your week, week was actually fairly good uh it was better than last week which was really we had uh some issues one of uh the uh, my uh, mm. co-workers had covid another had the flu Ugh. and then one person called in sick so that we were just sort of covid the flu right. and a hangover we yes. make it <laughs> It was it was a really difficult week to struggle through, and this week was mostly better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was sort of exhausting. Yeah, it's been a real exhausting couple of days, which is why um, suddenly there are COVID tests at my work. Yep, I took little... one yesterday because I was feeling crappy. But they're coming. They they come in what looks like little party boxes in bright yeah. colors. But they are the ones that are being um, sold online. In a lot of different places, and it looks like the ones that the the government's going to make available as well. It's the so, same company. So, uh, how exactly do you take it? Okay. Hey, everybody. This is COVID Testing 101. Also, please don't take this as medical advice. I just read the package. Uh, you open the swab. You wash your hands for uh-huh. at least 20 seconds. And then you, put out, you open the testing um, little tray, and you set up one of the vials sitting up into the little... There's uh-huh. a little... Um, well, so it sits up straight, and then you pull the top off the vial, and then you take out a swab. Don't touch the swab part, only the stick part, and then you put the swab part in your left nostril first. I don't know why it says left first, then right, but I did what the fuck the package says. And you swish it around five times, not more than three quarters of an inch up into your nose. One, okay. two, three, four, five, and then take it out, and then you put it in to your right nostril, and you go swish, 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 and then take it out, and then you put it in the tube, and then you swish it around five times, and then you pull, you like squeeze the tube, and pull out the swab to like squeeze all the liquid out, and then you put the swab aside, you put it down on a tissue, because you right. don't want to touch anything with it, and then you put the little stopper in the top of the the thing and you flick it to make sure it's all mixed mix 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 and then you tip it over and you drip one two three drops one two three drops into the little um test tray and then you put it aside and you set your timer for 10 minutes but make sure that you don't run away because it's you can't read it after 15 it's a very short oh. little tiny window this sounds like so, a chemistry test uh-huh. And then so I put it aside and then I put the the how to read this test and uh-huh. do all the instructions over it because I didn't want to look at it while it was marinating. Mm. And then I did work for 15 minutes and my alarm went off and then I looked and there was one purple line, which is how you tell that the test is valid and then nothing else, which means negative. But sometimes there is a blue line under the purple line. It doesn't matter what it's in two different places. Right. So if you can't tell the difference between the colors, it's okay. It's, okay. You could there's a C that's like a control line, and then T, which I don't know what T stands for. I don't know that C even stands for control. It's just what I read it as. And if there anything shows up, even if it's very faint in that second area, mm. then oops, COVID. But um, there was nothing. It was like clear, uh-huh. and I was like. And yeah, then I, I threw everything away. Right, I wondered about <laughs> it because I remember the old days when they were sticking the swab really far up your Yeah, nose. you don't have to put it that far up mm. for this. I, okay. I don't think they wanted people to, like, 
injure themselves. Right. And also, our understanding of how this disease, I mean, there were times when it was leave your groceries right. out for three days and, and wash everything off, but it doesn't really live yeah, on surfaces, it, it turns out. So. The, the, the understanding of what it does and how it's transmitted mm-hmm. has changed a lot. I was uh, uh, There was a lot of joking around when the boxes first came in because I thought they looked like condom packaging because they're in bright colors with sort of bubbles on the they outside. They are very brightly colored. Yeah. It is very much like... Um, when I look at it, yeah, it looks like sanitary napkins right. or something. Like, you can still have fun with this. Yes. <laughs> it's like, uh, your pads, let's tone it down a little bit. <laughs> like, but, um, yeah, they're like orange mm-hmm. and then these bright primary colors and these bubbles on there. Yeah, it's right. very, very interesting. But um, So the problem with our package is it's supposed to have two caps and it only has one cap. So I'm oh. not sure how I'm going to do the second test tomorrow so we'll find out okay um the only thing that it won't let me do is squeeze Mm -hmm. three nice drops into the thing so i'm gonna have to i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna improvise yeah part of me thinks that i should just wash out the one cap that they gave me really good right but i don't i don't know it's interesting or yeah because this this package is supposed to it's supposed to come with two. I was wondering caps. if like getting a second box would help, and maybe there'd be the, you know maybe. Yeah, but then I'm gonna ruin right. that box. Like yeah. that was the thing. It's like this: if you're missing one piece, mm-hmm. it's a perpetuated issue. Yeah. So because apparently, you're supposed to take two of them, twenty forty eight hours apart or so. Uh-huh. Um, I doubt that's when you get a an exposure. Um. Like, uh, my friend just had to do the same thing with his child. Uh-huh. Uh, there was an exposure on Thursday, so they offered them tests. So he uh, took one on Friday before he went in and then had to take another one on Sunday. Now, I took the test not because I had had an exposure, but because I was feeling sick. And so I feel like a negative test is probably a negative test because it, you know what I mean? Like, it, right. it wasn't a... Oh, I was near somebody, and did I get exposed to it? And now I need to see if it's incubated in my system two days later. Rather, it was I have muscle aches and I'm feeling a little congested. Is this COVID in my body right now? And I think that the test I took yesterday pretty much definitively yeah, tells me okay, it was good. not. But, and I feel much better today. And I'm very hormonal. Like, that's part of my problem. I, think it just might be the blessings of femininity that is mm. making me feel like crap this week and not COVID-19. So thanks, nature. You're the best. Um, so, But now I know how to do it. It is uh, fucking stressful, and I hated it. Yeah. That 10-minute waiting period was garbage. But it's, it's also, I've never taken a pregnancy test, everybody, and now I feel like I kind of have. <laughs> But I imagine it's a very similar situation. Well, I was going to ask how your week went, but I suppose not having COVID was the highlight. Tiny COVID scare. Right. Turns out I'm fine. Still feel a little crappy. So here we are. The world in 2022. Also, um, everyone's dying. Mm. Like, if this many famos are dying, I'm using a um, how-did-this-get-made term. Like, if if... If someone of note is dying, then that the news is telling me every day. Right. How many people are dying that, that are just that. important to the people in their lives? Like a lot, y'all, yeah. a lot, <laughs> and I. That's like weighing on me in a weird way. So that's hmm. that's fun. Sorry that's what's going that. on. I mean, I just like I said, if I if I know all of these people. Clearly, those people, the people in their lives, mm-hmm. that's a more important death for right. them. But I know, have a new nemesis, and that nemesis is Target eggs. I mean, Costco eggs, because I've got a big cut on my arm. Maybe this is what's wrong with me. That, absolutely, you've got an infection dying. from <laughs> a plastic egg carton yep. from Costco that attacked you viciously. It looks like a cat scratch. Yeah, it does. It's not. Sticky is innocent. This is this, this was time. done to me by Costco. So, 
right, you want to get into this? It's already going to be a long episode. What have I done? All right. Hey, everybody. So I put together just a list of categories. We are not dividing our acting categories on gender. So when I say best adult actor in a motion picture, I mean actor or actress. <laughs> because we're just trying. First of all, it's double. It's 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 having the number of things that we right. talk about. Actors' profession. And second, I don't think that like gender has anything to do with acting performance. Mm. <laughs> and uh, I understand why they haven't totally done this in the big movie award shows because realistically you have to gender them because women don't get as many roles (laughs) as men do and so they could very easily be pushed out of non-gendered acting categories. And there really wasn't a great deal which of, needs to change. Variety of <laughs> roles in the early days either. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a film called 12 Angry Men, Men, not 12 Angry People. Right. So there were films where there was almost no female presence at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. And so as a result of that, I think it's it was better to have a separate category. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we have blended them here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took some car- categories, basically starting with the Golden Globes, because they do both television and movies. So we are dividing these into TV series and movies. And the TV series, I really only included the things that are miniseries. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I pulled a few categories from old categories from the MTV Movie Awards Mm. because they do fun categories that did sort of fit in. Um, And then there is one specific category that is only true of what we are talking about. And that's where we're going to start today. That is the best Stephen King appearance or cameo because he has made several. Okay, He's a real Hitchcock like that. (laughs) And so I want to talk about that we'll start there and then we'll probably jump around a little bit. I don't know how we're going to do this, but there's not a countdown. It's not a best to worst or anything like that. What do you have? Do you have more than one? That's the other thing. No, no, yeah. Some of the categories will have more than one. This one, not so much. Some of these have, yeah. Some of these mm-hmm. I have a few that I want to talk to and then I can narrow it sure. down. But in this case, I think I have one favorite and one standout. Okay, go ahead. What is and it? it is It Chapter 2. Yes. <laughs> it's the most recent one. Uh-huh. Right? I think so. I think so, too. I think so. Right. And I just... I think the writers found the perfect thing to do with him. And he's clearly having a blast. Right. And I love it. And if you guys don't remember, he is... In he is an antique store owner in Maine, in Derry, mm-hmm. right? And he is giving the famous writer a bit of our time. <laughs> and I love it. And I don't know if the writers wrote it for him or if they were like It's certainly based on his experience. Yes. Because the first thing that he says is, Oh, you're the famous writer, then oh. This is how much this <laughs> is going to cost you. Then that's going to cost you. And he's selling him the bicycle, his childhood bicycle. Yes. And then goes on to comment on how Ben doesn't know how to close his books. It's like, yes. oh, your, oh, your, your endings. endings are terrible. Was right. it Ben? I thought it was, um, is that his that character? No, that, his character is, I thought Ben was the architect. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. It's fine. It's the it's the James McAvoy character whose name I legitimately and Richard Thomas in the original, whose name in the movie I cannot. Bill. It's Bill. Bill. I'm sorry. Bill. <laughs> and I'm sorry to everybody with the stutter because I sometimes have a stutter, but that's how I got there. That was my process, and I apologize. So I think that is the best Stephen King right. cameo. Is that that's that really that really was because it's not only uh, his appearance; it's, it's he got to kind of mock his public image mm-hmm. and and play the part of everybody he's confronted everybody. in Maine. <laughs> exactly. It's like, I'm going to overcharge you because you're famous. I'm going to give you completely unwanted uh, advice on how to write better. Yeah. I'm going to give you 
criticism that comes from me, a person who obviously has read all of my books and and is pretending not to, as if somehow th- that uh, it, it's not to your literary taste, but you've obviously read the book, and then you're going to yeah. complain about the ending. And so, yeah, it felt like it was him depicting one of his fans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the Mors is Mors. Yeah. I just, I think it's so good and yeah. so fun. Uh, and not very long. I, please understand, too, that I did not even consider the part in, um, was it Creep Show? Mm. Where he's just the only character in the thing. Because right. that's not a cameo, y'all. No. He was a straight up actor in that movie and he was actually very good. But that's not a cameo. All right. Let's go to, this is another uh, MTV poll. Or their first MTV poll. And that is, this is directly from what MTV has done. The best scared as shit performance, <laughs> which I thought, well, that fits right in. Okay, so who do you think? Why don't you give your, since I started the last one, why don't okay, you Okay, so. Um, I have three. I really? Will tell you. Yeah. Okay. Mine is actually kind of, there's a couple, but mm-hmm. uh, it's sort of sad. Uh, Shelley Duvall in The Shining. Yeah, fair enough. Mostly because um, she was scared of shit in the actual she was, reality life. She was terrified of Stanley Kubrick. Uh, Kubrick thought that she didn't have the... Apparently thought that she did not have the necessary... Uh, she wasn't pulling enough to play terrified in this film. So Then he, why did you hire her, sir? He hired her, and then, <laughs> based on her performances, I think, in, in Robert Altman's movies. Okay. And then he proceeded to... Torture her. <laughs> basically, which he also did with the rest of the cast. So yeah. it wasn't like he was a misogynist in doing this. He was doing this to everybody. He was. Um, Those kid, The kid did not get out. That, there's a reason that that child grew mm-hmm. up and sold cars or whatever right. the fuck. Now, it's, it becomes an, part of an interesting commentary on how far, uh, how far genius gets to push people mm-hmm. to get what they want. There's a whole film about this. It's called Whiplash. It's very good. But... Yes. Not my tempo. Yeah. I want to watch that again now. <laughs> but it's it's that performance is squeezed out of her and she yeah. looks genuinely no, I think a, I didn't, on not the verge of nervous list. collapse. And that is a great film. call for sure. So, what is your other option? Or, uh, well, that was that my was main option. I'm really one. thinking about it. That one, you know, the more I think about that particular performance, yeah. the fact that she's physically like too terrified to actually hit her husband with a baseball bat that she's... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, she... I think you're probably right. I think mm-hmm. you did a better job on this one. And so so my three... Uh-huh. I started with Carla Gugino from right. Gerald's Game. Just because that... What that required of her yes. was almost superhuman. Like, mm. it's... Just think about the 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 making of that film. Well, is like People tend to think physicality in a performance is... Doing, Running, you know, jumping, we, and we recently saw Errol Flynn. Yes, it's a different kind of physicality where you're you're leaping, jumping, swing. Yeah, but the idea that you basically have to be um, almost motionless. Yes, and turn this is a very physical performance. Not just have to be, uh, have no choice but to be. Right, but she's doing as much as yeah. she can in her confined space. And how? scary that would right. be and yeah. i am scared yes um and then the other two actually both come from it and that is bill Hader as an adult mm-hmm. i think that the scene that he is being chased through the town square right he is so good mm. in that scene and then sophia lillis uh, yeah, um i think her scene specifically in the bathroom right is I, especially for being as young as she is, mm-hmm. so so so. No, good. So feel this. Watching that movie is watching a star being born. For sure. You're just looking at it going, damn. I yeah. want to see whatever she does in the future because yep. this is definitely you're watching somebody who just eats up the screen. Yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, and all of the kids in that movie. Spoiler mm-hmm. alert! You're going to hear about this movie a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, all the kids in that movie are really good, and she, but she, for fear, stands out. Although, like I said, fucking. Mm. Glazer is super good too. We'll get to it. We'll get or Grazer, excuse me. We will get to it though. Um, okay, so that is the best scared shit scared of shit performance. I do think I thought Shelley Duvall pick is very good. Mm, 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 mm. Let's do best 
action sequence. I only have one. Okay. I, I wanted to pull one from The Dark Tower, um, but that movie is so much of a mess that I couldn't think of an it's action really sequence chaotic. in it. So uh, my best action sequence is the shootout in Doctor Sleep. Yeah, that's my choice too. That's your choice too. It was between this and The Outsider, the shootout and The Outsider. The shootout and The Outsider which is also is, very good. is just really well staged and they're v- both very high stakes. Mm-hmm. You know they're everyone going into this. sort of similar. Right. In structure, even in location. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I liked about it in both cases is... And you can see Stephen King's uh, inclinations, and he's written noir before, Mm -hmm. and he's written westerns. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in both of these. This is similar to Brian De Palma's shootout in The Untouchables, where there's a limited location, and you're basically 15 cameras, it feels like, catching each and every person. But what I liked about both of these shootouts is you, at this point, have been with these characters a long time. Yeah. You know what they're capable of. You know what they're not capable of. Yeah. The only thing that tipped it over for me for Dr. Sleep, Mm -hmm. because I really, really loved The Outsider, um, is the fact that you have the extra element of having these being essentially supernatural beings. Yeah. And so they're able to pull tricks that normal human beings can't play. That's true. And so it becomes, there's another level, and there's one character, as we know, who does something really heinous and you expect it. You don't see it coming because, oh, you forgot, these people don't necessarily just sort of wither up and die. Yep. Horrible things happen. Yep. And um, and so I thought it was just really well staged. The stakes were very high. Uh, characters that you really want to pull through don't. Yep. Um, and so it makes a real emotional impact. There's a lot... What sells an action scene is really not as much the action as it is the performance. Uh, that's, that's true. I, yeah. There are a few... A car chase mm-hmm. is maybe an exception to that. Right. There are, a, what, four mm-hmm. iconic car chases. Yeah. And then, you know, one in each Fast and the but Furious even movies, that, but that doesn't but even count. But even that, when you look at, okay, so there's the car chase and bullet, which is mostly the editing and the sound. But yeah. You look at the car chase in um, the like French Connection. French Connection, right. Where what he's doing is just speeding up his car and we're constantly cutting to Gene Hackman's face as he's Space. trying to avoid yeah. running into people. And, you know, swearing under his breath. and Right. So that also was, you know, it can be... Yeah, in that case, there. it is, for right. sure, yeah. Yeah. And, oh, interesting, yeah. I hadn't so thought about that, but... when you look at this scene, it's just like... And it also, in The Outsider, holy shit, what's-his-name just died? Yeah. Oh, my God, wait, she's just standing out there while people are shooting at her. Right. But what took it over was in the... Uh, in the um, Doctor, Doctor Sleep, Sleep for yeah. me, is... When one of the characters, I don't want to say who it is. Although we, did we spoiled, we have recapped right. these movies. You can talk about what happens but in them. Just y'all, if you uh, haven't seen Doctor Sleep, you really should see. Doctor watch Doctor Sleep and then go listen to our episode about it's an it. Amazing <laughs> film. But watching even and there's other scenes in that film. There's some really beautifully done scenes. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that shootout, the way that not only they interact, but one of the characters who you want to be on the fence about, because you've seen how she's been recruited into this circle of monsters. Yeah. I don't know what to call them. You think that this would be her opportunity to get away from them, and no, she's fully on one of them. Yep. And she does something really horrible to a character that you want to get through. Yeah. And that suddenly turns it and goes, oh, shit, the stakes are so much higher than I thought they were. Then they, yeah. You yeah. know, we might, you know, the guys that you like might not get out of this alive. They're not, right, exactly. Yeah, just because they're our hero does not mean that they survive. Mm-hmm. Y'all, that's just a pro tip from me to you in Stephen King Universe. All right, let's do our television series chunk. Okay. All right, so let's start at the bottom of my, the list that I created, um, and that is best screenplay for a television series. Okay. You want to take... You want to you want to start? I have no. three, but I it's really one. I mean, I'm gonna narrow it down. <laughs> uh, to me, the best screenplay for the television series was for it, the 1990. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. not even in my top. Three. Because it juggled a whole bunch of details. Mm-hmm. 
It really did. And it's when you think about the the adaptation of the theatrical adaptation of it, Mm -hmm. it was also in two nights, but it dropped a lot in the second part. It did. It's also an Um, hour longer total runtime, probably at least. So yeah, it it just it made the mistake of dropping a lot. And when you think about television, and you think about especially 1990, the restrictions that were being placed on yeah, that's true, and the fact that you had to work around them. Um, yeah, it's. It, the, the restrictions both on violence, on gore, on horror, mm-hmm. and they had to create, and they created a really memorable piece of work. Yeah. Based on this book that had a whole just mammoth book. Yeah. And I would almost say that um, that uh, another example would be the original Stand, because yeah. it did such a good job of laying that out. So yeah. I was between the two for a yeah. while. Because I felt like it's the biggest books that require the most work. Work, yeah. No, that's true. But uh, to me, it those two were in contention. Another one that was in very strong contention was uh, Salem's Lot. Okay. Again, juggling a bunch yeah. of characters, and they all get their scene. Yeah. Um, and so... Like one of those Mike Flanagan movies. Everybody's right. hot, everybody's haunted, and everybody gets a monologue. Right. And in this one, the, you know... <laughs> Thank you, Paul F. Tompkins, for that. <laughs> in Salem's Lot, everyone gets a scene. And and that was something that in the remake of Salem's Lot, they didn't focus on. Yeah. All these ancillary characters who really do have add up to this entire town. Because that was the only real issue I had with the remake. Yeah. Was that you're really aware of what's happening to the main characters in the remake of Salem's Lot. And you like those actors and you yeah. want them to get through. But what's missing is the sense the entire town is going under. Yeah. And so the woman who runs the boarding house mm-hmm. and her alcoholic husband and the guy at the dealership yeah. who's having to... All of these who are all actors I remember. You know, these are Marie Windsor and Elisha Cook Jr. and all these people from a different generation mm-hmm. of film. And so when they come up in these bit parts... And that was the great thing about having character actors back in the day. Yeah. You could put them in a part and go, Elisha Cook Jr. is playing a drunk. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, he played that in half a dozen film noir and he was in The Big Sleep. And he was, right. And so you could totally see that. Or there's a really great point where someone makes a comment about um, the woman running the boarding house, how her she was a hotsy-totsy back in the day or something yeah. like that. Oh, hate and that phrase. Gotcha. It's Marie Windsor. <laughs> Who was was because I I was watching Narrow Margin the other day from the fifties and like oh god she's great yeah and it's like yeah I do remember that so it was like playing into when it was what made what you expect right what you expect when it was made it was especially a great for one. a television series yeah. when you're you wanted you want to shorthand appeal to the largest mm-hmm. possible group of people to get eyes on your thing for these two nights that it's right. on or whatever yeah no and so yeah but in this case I really felt that it carried the day. Because it did, it had it had a very straightforward way of telling the story. Yeah, and it was something that even the remake kind of fumbled on the yeah. second half. Yeah, and yeah, my um, my two that I thought uh, about were much more recent, and the mm-hmm. first one is The Outsider. Okay. I think the writing in that is very, very good. I think the characterization is very good. Now, you all, I'm also looking at it as a I really like this story, and I don't know what was adapted and what wasn't, because this is a book that I have not read yet. Mm. So um, just in terms of characterization in the script, and I think overall of the five-part or the ten-part things that Mm -hmm. we saw, it had the best pacing. Right, exactly. Um, that was what a lot of the things struggled with. Like eleven twenty two sixty three was too many episodes, right? Like it's the the pacing on a lot of these things is you didn't need the you could time fully that you cut had. Some of these things. Meanwhile, in half. it yeah. needed way more time, but managed to get it done in the four right. hours that it had. Well, so I it agree had with you, old yeah. school movie pacing, like we yeah. talked about, where everything's yeah. just moving at a yeah. clip. But I think. And I cheated a little on mm-hmm. my actual choice, which is Castle Rock. Right. Because Castle Rock is not an adaptation. That's yeah. not what this that's not what this is. That's not what this play. category yeah. is. This is just screenplay. And I love Castle Rock's manipulation of the King universe. Mm-hmm. I am deeply sad that there aren't gonna be seven more series of it. Yeah. As I think that there's a lot they could do. 
they already did a lot. I really, really loved the acting in both the seasons, the stories in both the seasons, the Easter eggs in all yeah. of the seasons. Like that, it was like a love letter to Stephen King fans, and I got it. I received it. I appreciated it, and I thought that the screenplay, I thought that the writing, mm-hmm. the pacing of both of those stories, as different as they were, yeah. Were both excellent. Well, it, Mike Flanagan, and the fact that he right. managed to tie them to—they managed yeah. to tie them together mm-hmm. in any way right. while being so different—was also very impressive well, yeah. to me. So, what I was going to bring up mm-hmm. is that uh, Mike Flanagan does a similar thing when he does uh, mm-hmm. *The Haunting of Bly Manor*, right? Where he brings in characters from several of Henry James' ghost stories because he wrote right. more than one. And has them all interact with each other. Which is why I'm more willing to watch that after... Because I didn't... Mm-hmm. I, I I explicitly did not watch that season. Mm-hmm. Even though I like Everyone Mike is. Flanagan's work. Yeah. And I like everybody in it. But because I have been burned by bad Turn of the Screw things... Right. Four well, times in several. the last three years. Right. And I yeah. just... I couldn't. It's not and a story that I particularly like in the yeah. first place. And then to just watch such terrible adaptations... I was like, I can't watch ten hours of this. It's it's but actually it it really good, and, and I'm really excited to see the next one he's doing. Yes, me too. Because it's Edgar Allan Poe, and he's pulling mm-hmm. in everyone from the Telltale yeah. Heart to Auguste, That's such a cool idea. Auguste Dupin, detective, yeah. which was really a big one for me. It's like, oh my god, I get to see Auguste Dupin. Anyhow. Okay, right. so next up, Best Supporting Actor mm. in a Television Series. Do you want me to start? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so my top... It's three, but it's four. Um, mm-hmm. Cynthia Erivo in uh-huh. The Outsider. Yeah. I really like that characterization. And I will say I like it a little bit more than the Mr. Mercedes characterization of mm-hmm. Holly, but I think both of those actresses do spectacular jobs and would happily watch more of either of them. Right. Um, Tim Robbins in Castle Rock. Mm, that actually was really good. I, I think he's spectacular in mm-hmm. that. I feel like he plays against type in a really interesting way. And especially against his own Stephen King type. Not just Tim Robbins, the actor and what we know him for, but Tim Robbins, the actor and what we know him for inside the Stephen King universe. Right, exactly. Um, and finally, a... A duo of Jennifer Jason Lee and Joan Allen in Lisey's story. I'm surprised I, anything from there got through. But. I feel like that 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 is on my list twice, or mm-hmm. it appears twice in here. Um, but I feel like that move, that whole series came alive. Yeah. When the three of those women were together, mm-hmm. um, and that's how you, like that to me makes them. Excellent supporting actresses, yeah. right? Like yes. or supporting actors. Um, so it's it's those three, and I think my favorite is probably Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins mm-hmm. is probably that's nice actually an interesting choice. I hadn't thought about that. What What are your options? Okay, or... there's three of them also. Uh huh. Um, and then my favorite, but then again, that might be just because he's one of my that's favorite. The, well, that's the other thing is so, we are basically doing favorite. Well, like, not favorites. Also, there's some there's validity to this. Uh, I, well, no, but right. there's there's a best and a favorite, yeah. and I feel like I do lean most of my bests are in fact my favorites. Well, so let's Justin Lupi in yes. Mr. Mercedes. Yes, for the exact same reason that you said right. I was dying. My, with that I couldn't show. remember her last name, right. so that was yes. Yeah, so the other Holly, Holly Gibney. Yes, I was dying with that show. I just was having you know all the incest and masturbation. It's a and lot. Every episode, yeah. and it just got to which be which is such a bummer because gross. I love those books a lot. Well, I really liked uh, the main performance. I just Shh, let's not talk about it yet. <laughs> okay, I really hated the villain. Yeah. Because he just yeah. was so reprehensible, and we spent so much time with him. Yeah. Uh, but when she comes in as Holly, it really is just like this um, defibrillation of the story. Yes, right. She comes in, and then her her relationship with her mentor, mm-hmm. yes, uh, just yeah, becomes it's very this good. That really relationship great relationship. Good. And I I think the great thing about the Holly character is you can find any two people to pair this off on. And it's not like a Holmes and Watson, which it could have very easily been. It's instead one person who has all the experience and one person who just has this incredibly complicated neural network 
that allows her to see things other people can't see. And so she was really good yeah. because she played a really great combination of vulnerable and childlike and hyper intelligent. Yeah. And she and also on some level amoral. Yeah. She kills the guy at the end of it and is perfectly Reasons. prepared to kill a person in the second one because she doesn't have the, the um she can see past this it's, is a wrong it's thing a to do. It's a pragmatic killing. Right. It's a it's fully pragmatic. And this will leave the world right. better than I found the it. The way that she does kill him the first time is so brutal. <laughs> that you're like, wow, okay. That... She doesn't kill him, though. Well, she, she meant to. She did make mm. mean to. That's true. The... She, she attacked him with murder in her right. heart. So that is the thing that happened. The other uh, really runner-up for me was Laura, uh, Sanja Como. Oh, yeah. In the stand. We are dead. And this is hell. And this is hell. Which is one of the great line readings in a horror period. This goes along with it's you know, so good. No one comes to the house after night. That's that's how good, right? <laughs> well, no one <laughs> it's like one of those lines that you you know what they're quoting when they say it. Yeah. And so her performance of going and I it's really I And infinitely uh, better than, than one Amber Heard. Well, and that's <laughs> the reason why I really had to push it because when I see what another actress did with the same material mm -hmm. and how just kind of... I she, mean, she didn't have that line to read. No, but she had a lot of other stuff that she could have done and she just didn't invest the performance with any life. And it yeah. might not be that she's particularly bad. It's just that Laura Sanchicomo was that good. That good, yeah. She really is a and great she actress. It. I mean, this is one of those performances where... Um, I remember one of the producers talking about working with Bill Bixby on The Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. It's like, how does he go into the... How does he come to work that day with that much heartbreak in his face all the time? And you find out there was actual he is heartbroken in his life that made him this kind of broken it's the person. Same, I mean, it's the, it's, the, it's the real life answer right. to Ruffalo's I'm always angry. Right. He's always sad. <laughs> and so when you find out about his actual life, there was a reason for that. But the fact that he could just bottle this up and use this for mm -hmm. this performance of this guy who has nothing and he can't even trust himself, which yeah. was what made his performances the, the whole... Yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And Laura San Giacomo just delivers this incredibly febrile kind of anxiety every single scene. Yeah. I don't know how you work yourself into a state no, where you, yeah. you seem to be almost physically trembling all the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And yeah, that must have been really taxing on her physical right. body. And, and again, when we think of physical performances, we don't tend to think of no, the what this does to the actor, but yeah. this... This performance, and then she goes catatonic, yeah. and then, yeah, and then she does something heroic, but it seems more to be out of just genuine desperation, mm -hmm. um, and to uh, act some sort of autonomy outside of what this entire what's been planned for her. She literally is a figure in the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. She's one of the more or less angels in the Book of Revelations. Right. That's how important she is. Yeah, and she decides to make this decision at the end, and again, having seen this. Comparison with her and Amber Heard, who just did not yeah. Yeah, and do anything with that part. From my recollection also mm. of the book, which I have not right. read in a number of decades. <laughs> I have read it twice, yeah. but I haven't read it in a long time. The way that Amber Heard's character ends in The Stand, mm -hmm. she's just an idiot. Right. Laura San Giacomo, as soon as she has interacted with this yeah. in in physical f presence with this entity right. understands in her bones yeah that they're all fucked yeah she is fucked nothing that he says to her is true right. or like she is there's such a profound disappointment that's heartbreaking yes. in what and, happens and, to her and and Amber mm -hmm. Heard's version of that character right. is just like thinking that she's the fucking belle of the ball. And right. I'm like, no, bitch, you are a womb. Yeah. The end. <laughs> like, and then when that is, in fact, the case, she is surprised. <laughs> I'm just like, read the room. Right. Like, she should have known better. Fuck? She should have known better. So those are my two runner-ups. I love both of them. Um, What's I don't your, think Lorsan Giacomo... Giacomo has had a, uh, an opportunity to play another part like that, which is no, a pity. 
No, I only know. She's really good at comedy. She's whatever. really cute. She's five feet tall. She's so, very small. Yeah. So yeah, so she does a lot of great, funny physical comedy. But I've never. I mean, and she's just very. I'd love to see her uh-huh. play like Natasha Leone's mom. You know who she was going to play, and unfortunately, the film never got made. Is um, Frida Kahlo. Oh, interesting. And that would have been a she really is a Latin woman. Right. I don't think of her as a Latin woman, but right. she but is. She, she just, she could have, and she the same thing that Salma Hayek did really effectively later on, play this sort of thing between being sexy and self-loathing mm-hmm. and tiny and then having to be formidable, and she could have done that. And I think that was a great missed opportunity of her career. But, um, but yeah. She was she was really great. But so so those were your two winners up. Uh huh. Who's your winner? Is James Mason in Salem's Lot? Fair point. Because he is the he voice is, of God. He, but on top of that, I and I mentioned this before that I'd seen a movie Child's Play from the seventies where he played completely against type. Uh huh. But this is one of those parts. Not that, the Chucky movie. No 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 no. Um, I just want to be explicit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But he plays Richard Straker, and they yes. decided to go against the book, which had yeah. a suave vampire. But this was, what was it, 1979? Yeah. So this is just after uh, Christopher Lee, and I think maybe before Franklin Gilla. So the suave vampire was something that everyone had seen. So they decided to go with a monster vampire and give a lot of the stuff with... Um, yeah, 1979. Right. So, uh, yeah, if you can imagine how suave he was, the Dracula stage, uh, stage, the revival of the play, the Balsham play, was played by Franklin Jella and Raul Julia. Yeah. So the smooth vampire Suave. was now tapped out. The suavest. Out, right? So yeah. inside they decided to go with Reggie Nolder's kind of monster Nosferatu thing. Oh, both of us put women and joiners up and picked a man as our right. winner. But what are James we Mason's part yeah. is amazing yeah. because he has to, he comes into this town and totally just rolls over everyone. And his scenes with Kenneth McMillan, who's really good as the sheriff. Yeah. And and I can tell where Stephen King's thought process is because the sheriff's name is Gillespie, the same as the sheriff in, in The Heat of the Night. In The high, Heat of the Night. That's what I thought. Okay. So there's that's kind of a fun nod, like where his thought process was at mm-hmm. the time. Ron Steiger's character. Mm-hmm. But, um, but James Mason's Straker com- just rolls over everyone in this town. Yep. And he's he's like playing cat and mouse with people, but he's so far ahead of them. And he, you know, because no one's going to be willing to admit they're frightened of vampires. Yeah. And he uses that like, do, do you really think that's what's going on? Do, yeah, do you, like, the, that's ridiculous. Right. And the fact that he does that As bit, he's sharpening his teeth. <laughs> right, that he does that bit with the suit that he yeah. has the sheriff. And... That business probably in the end is like a red herring. It doesn't contribute anything to the final film. Nope. But it does show you just how arch he is and how much in control he is of everything, everything. Yeah. in the situation. So, yeah, to me, that was the one that just stood out like, damn, no, no, that was really great. All right, next up, mm-hmm. best child actor in a television series, and I only have the one. Okay. So do you want to start or do you want me to start? No, you go ahead. Okay. So my choice... Is Jonathan Brandis mm. in it? Uh, not just because it's literally the only one I could remember. Mm. I like Seth Green in that movie as right. well. But also, I really loved Jonathan Brandis as an actor, and I was heartbroken when he killed himself. He was that. He, yeah. I loved Sequest DSV. I loved that show. Right. There was a talking dolphin for Christ's sake. That show was the best. Yeah. Never Ending Story 2 is not a good movie. I do enjoy him in it. He did, uh, I think he did the martial arts movie with Chuck Norris. Yes, Sidekicks. Sidekicks, which was a really sweet he movie. He also did Ladybugs. Ooh, doesn't age well. Right. But Sidekicks is a... <laughs> It's Uh-oh. a very sweet movie. Yes, I, I do that. like Sidekicks, actually. Right. I, I enjoyed that movie quite a bit when I was a kid. So that that is Jonathan Brandis. Now, I don't have one for a series, but I have a television appearance. Okay. And I was considering the young man who was in the television cut of The Shining. But in the end, it's like his performance was so over-emphatic at times. Mm. He's just shouting. and Yeah. But to me, the best, and speaking of The NeverEnding Story, yeah. was the episode of the Twilight Zone reboot oh, with Oliver yes. Barrett. 
doing grandma. Yes. And he looked freaking terrified. No, that is a very and good he, performance. There was gonna that be a kid run was up. so good. And then right. just, whoop, done, done, See, done being well, an actor. I, I think that after a while, if you don't really love it, stop doing it. Yeah. But Oliver Barrett's performance... And, and he he has to do everything. He's carrying this entire episode. It's the whole. It's it is you know, all his face the right. whole time. Yeah. And the fact that he and has voice, to yeah. do this kind of um, he has to do the voiceover. He has to do the you know. He, and the fact that it, at points he's almost screaming the voiceover, <laughs> and it felt very yes. authentic. Yeah, I was like, this kid is fucking scared. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a that's he a did really, a great really job. Anybody who's ever had to spend an afternoon early part of an evening as a kid alone in a house that's why mm-hmm. grandma works it's very effective it's yeah. creepy and weird everything becomes strange and unfamiliar and Oliver Barrett nailed it yep and yep, it's, yep, yeah yep. it's a pity I won't get to see an adult performance from him but all right next up mm-hmm. best adult actor yeah. in a television series why don't you kick this one off this one's going to be weird too do you have a lot? Do you have a few? No, I have one. Well, one. Okay. Um, William Hurt in Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Holy shit. Yeah, no, that was a great... He did it with... Performance. I think not a single word of dialogue. I'm trying to remember if he says a single word in there. I I feel like there may be a swear. There couldn't have been yeah. a swear. It was on television. But it Seems he, like there should have been a swear. I think he does say something to a character after committing a, a, after doing an assassination on an airplane, a woman in an airplane who's trying to flirt with him, and he's like not having. No, it. yeah, right, or like right. to get his mail or something to go up to the. But the fact that you have this entire thing, yeah, and you think about how amazing this performance is. He has no dialogue. Yep. He gets his character completely across. Yep. Without saying a word, and. When you think about this, is so special effects heavy. Yeah, that he isn't even interacting with anything. If you guys don't remember, uh-huh. he is fighting uh, a basically uh, like a Footlocker filled with plastic toys. toy soldiers. Toy soldiers, right? It's the movie Toy Soldiers, but right. it's in twenty-five minutes. It's William Hurt getting his ass handed to him, right? And <laughs> dishing out too. But yes. it's like the they're hard to hit. They're very small. Yeah. The <laughs> fact that he did all this essentially acting with special effects. Yes. So he can't even he's see. A, he's acting against nothing. Yeah. He can't even see what he's interacting with. It's a double with. imagination mm-hmm. situation. And and the fact that he has no ability to communicate this other than his face and his body language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When he gets hurt, he really sells the makeup. Yeah. Which is pretty gruesome when he's yeah. being shot by these yes. little people. Um, and so I thought like overall that was monumental. The fact that he could even pull that off. And none of the rest of the episodes of Nightmares and Dreamscapes ever were as involving. I think that was a, a mistake to lead with that one because none of the other that ones ever. True. That was, <laughs> right. was the opening salve. And honestly, that's what you do. Right. Check out this thing that we did that's awesome. Yeah. But then... And I stayed for bloop, 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 bloop. Claire Forlani wandering through, you know, it's a fine. docking bay because it's Claire Forlani. And, it's fine. But yeah, yeah that, that yeah. episode, that particular performance was amazing. So my, I have three. They're mm-hmm. all more recent than that. And I'm trying to determine which is my f- top. So, and I think it's in that order. I think Lizzie Kaplan mm. in Castle Rock. I love Lizzie Kaplan. <laughs> no, not only because she is basically creating a new mm. version of this character... But because she so interestingly and well integrated the previous version of this character, which is a future version of the character into her performance, which technically she did not have to do because this story takes place now. It's a different timeline, you know, and Annie Wilkes. It's not the same character. It can't be because that's not how time works. But she did it anyways. And ooh, what she can do with her eyes is well. She yeah. Very she also and you know how much I love her, but she did this weird thing where she just. I mean, she, I, I would not want to be her at the end of each filming day because she does the thing with her body language. Yeah. Particularly with her shoulders and her neck, that yeah. must have been physically exhausting. I wonder if she had a a, a physical therapist or right. something. Um, very much like um. What's his face? Who plays? 
Evan Hansen on mm-hmm. stage right. where he had to have this posture and so he would have to have a physical therapy appointment every week to right. undo what he was doing yeah. for it hours. I always felt that way because she's so rigid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she does have a ramrod straight spine. Right. Yeah. So that was one of them. Brendan Gleason mm. and Mr. Mercedes. Right. Uh, because he's carrying a lot of that yeah. show and because he's the best and because he um really does transform over the arc of the yeah, shows that we were able to see i presume that that continues into the third season we'll never know <laughs> but i do really 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 like that performance even when that show was a struggle i was always like yeah no, his Brennan performance is going to be in it and he's going to be in most of it and it's going to be good right but my number one, I think, is Ben Mendelsohn in The Outsider. Okay. I just think that that performance is so spectacular. He, did, he does a... It, the skeptic having his come-to-Jesus moment with the mm-hmm. other side is almost a cliche in ways. And yeah. it only works when it's done really well. Yep. And his resistance and the look on his face when he realizes this yep. is outside of his can. Yep. And he, And at his age... Right. I, I thought just, I saw it all, but and, holy and, crap. And the no, way that he acts his relationships in that right. show, like you understood the way that he carried himself and interacted. And a lot of that, of course, is the writing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is just the way that he looks at Mayor Winningham, the way that he holds himself around his cop buddy. like. Right. At, or or differently around Jack because he right. knows he has to be a little bit on guard. And the way that he and Cynthia Revo interact, I think the yeah. way that he is he I he feels like a very um giving actor, like on, right. on a set. Like I feel like if you act with him, he is very gracious mm-hmm. um but also takes what he fucking needs. He... It seems very authentic, which was what does. I loved about that performance. Which is wild because I every felt time like he I was see that guy. him, I'm like, "Oh right, he's awesome right. in everything, yeah. even when he's a green fucking alien." Because right. <laughs> y'all, he does do that as well. Yes. Uh, so he he is my he is my number one. Okay. All right. Now, the next uh, it's the second to last of the TV series set. And this is Best Adaptation, which is going to be tricky for you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be looking at it as basically probably the best series. Um, well, to me, it's both the same. Uh, are they both the same? Mm-hmm. But your best adaptation and, and your best, best... Yeah. Okay, so mine are different. Okay. So let me start, and then you can. we sure. should just take mm-hmm. us into the next one. So my best adaptations, um, my, my runner-up is Lisey's Story. Okay. Because it's an excellent adaptation of that book. It is extremely faithful. Mm. Here's the problem. That shit's a real bummer. Yes. And it was tough to get through. So just because it's a good adaptation doesn't make it a good series. Mm. So for adaptation, I think it's very good. And um, and then I'm cheating a little on this one, too. And it's The Shining. Mm. The series, The Shining. Right. That Stephen King fucking wrote himself. Because I like that he was like, you know what? I'm going to stop bitching about the Cooper movie and just do it myself. I admire that. Now, are either of those my best series? <laughs> Absolutely not. So right. let it, let's get into the best Good. series what, category. What do you think the best series is? Um, the OG stand. That's okay. my bad. That's my number one. Yeah, that's really lovely. That's um, really. Cool. I I have three in mm-hmm. in contention, and they are the Outsider, mm-hmm. the It miniseries, and the original Stand miniseries. Right. Um, and I think be, just for sheer, I mean, I have gone back and watched it mm-hmm. when we weren't doing a podcast. I've seen it six right. times. Something about it holds up for me. It, I really love it. It's. Um, for me, as a kid who grew up on everything from the Bible to Greek myths, mm-hmm. to it has that feel. Mm-hmm. You're, it's epic, right? You do, yeah. and you have all these characters, and you, and so it, it really is an outstanding piece of work. 
the great pity for me was that the the uh, recent adaptation was not as decided to take these weird kind of storytelling tropes, yeah. telling things out of joint for a story that was so big. You can't really tell if you no. were unfamiliar with the material. You it, would have no yeah, idea what it, was going it on. It really didn't invite mm. people in the way that the original right. did. Now, could it be better? Absolutely. Right. But I like it as it stands. Yeah. So, what is yours? Uh, mine. They're both the same. It's t- it's uh, Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot. Yeah. Uh, Tobe Hooper is a great director. It's a pity what happened to his career. Um, but, he got nommed by Steven Spielberg, right? Right. Yeah. During the making of Poltergeist, and then there was just he wound up starting in low budget films, really making a mark, and then going back to low budget films, and it, he shouldn't have had that career arc. But that film has there are genuinely scary moments. In mm-hmm. there. You know, little boy hears a scratching in his window, and there's a floating boy. You know, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. part, the part where um, the local town ne'er do well dies and uh Lee airs his school teacher goes upstairs to see him and he's sitting there in the dark with the glowing eyes. Yeah, yeah. You know, there are some really genuinely frightening moments. And this is done by the guy who did the Texas Chainsaw right. Massacre. He knows how to milk a moment. And he did it in nineteen seventy nine. Right. And we were scared in twenty twenty. Right. <laughs> or twenty nineteen when I That's what really it. is effective about it because it's like the scary parts are genuinely scary. Yeah. Because sometimes you're watching it, it doesn't quite work, or this element, and especially nowadays, there's this notion of just throwing CGI at stuff and it'll work itself out. But this was a man who, because of his background in this kind of film, loved this kind of genre, mm-hmm. or genre. So, no, stop uh, it. He really milked those moments to where it's it stays with you. There are images there that stay with me. And so I felt like it really did that. It had some really first-rate performances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. David Soul, that's the funny thing, is that you're removed from his performance and yeah. what he used to play. Yes. And he's doing Mr. Cop and Starsky and Hutch. Which is not a thing that right. I have. I've literally never seen an episode of Starsky and Hutch, right. so I don't have that. But his performance here is very much like that character in the book. He's kind of moody yeah. and a little off-putting and a little strange. And you can understand why he unsettles people around yeah. him. And there was perfect casting with getting Bonnie Bedelia, who's also a little strange. Yes, yeah. So you can see how they but both... adorable like a Polly Pocket. Right, and Lance Kerwin yeah. as um, as Mark. Yeah. Who was a great child actor. Yes. And you can see every... I mean, there's another... Per- that almost went with the scared as shit yeah. performance, because he looks terrified, right. especially right. when his parents are getting killed. Uh, which is I a, could have gone in your child, yeah, child series, but but Oliver yeah, Barrett but I, Oliver Barrett, I think just because the fact that he had to carry it by himself. Salem Slide is your jam. Why? Because you love a vampire. But I love. But you also like you really right. Love I love series. the cast. And I really love how it all worked. It yeah. felt like I was in a small town. It felt like I was. These are all the people in the small town. It it really kind of got brought it together, and that's one of the books I did read. Yeah, right. And, and so it it was also going okay. This is what the written word was, mm-hmm. and he nailed it. They did it. it. Yeah, they did, did it. it. Yeah. Right. All right. Okay, we've been recording for about an hour, a little bit more, so I'm going to go ahead and say that we are going to make this Stephen King finale a two-parter, uh, which you will know because it will say part one in the show notes <laughs> and on the title page. So we're going to stop here. We'll talk about movies and the other incidental uh subjects and what we're doing next season next week uh until then do you have anything you'd like to recommend um i have a film that i'm going to recommend but i have to preface it by saying it might not be for everybody it's called no one gets out alive it's from 2021 it's currently available on netflix and it's a film that I appreciate it. It uh, is a perfect companion piece to His House, which was another movie about, uh, it's a horror film about immigrants experiencing things in the country they're immigrating to and how it's not necessarily a safe haven. But it also kind of makes a metaphorical connection between the difficulty of starting all over as an adult in a new place Mm -hmm. and actual literal monsters in both cases. And so, so um, it is a supernatural. Is a supernatural and also film. a person. Yes, before. and it's both things. The there's 
uh, fair warning, it gets to be fairly violent yeah. at the end. And the special effects do not hold back. Supernatural violence or human violence? Both. Both, okay. Um, Just so listeners know why I'm making the distinction, lately I have found it difficult to watch human-on-human violence Mm -hmm. in a way that I have not found it difficult to watch monster-on-human violence. Well, yes. And so sometimes you're in a mood, and so I just want to get the specifics. The issue is that there's a monster and someone needs to feed it, so yes, human violence as well. Uh, the, uh, lead actress is Christina Rodolo. I, I didn't know that I'd seen her before. She's mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, she was in the second season of The Terror. Oh, okay. And she plays a Mexican immigrant coming to the United States. She's not legal. The one... In the terms that, that we, you know, we... Def- people, people are people not illegal. Or, yes. Illegal or illegal. Yeah. But she doesn't have her papers, and she's trying to buy them. She's also very kind of innocent and literally wide-eyed. And so she, there are other people taking advantage of her. She tries to strike up friendships with people in her new country. That's not working. The only place she can find is a really run-down tenement in, uh, in, um, or boarding house almost in Detroit. But there's a, it's a very interesting film. It builds up its scares honestly. She discovers that the building that she's in is haunted. Mm-hmm. Voices are coming up out of the drain, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I won't spoil any more of it for you, but it turned out to be a really good film. And I enjoyed it. There's some reviewers who seem to have an issue with it. Some of them seem to specifically focus on the fact that it glorifies illegal immigration. Ugh. Which is bizarre that a reviewer has a problem, an issue with that. Uh, because we're telling everyone's story. Yeah, God forbid. And um, I only want to hear white man stories. Well, it also is that we've seen um, fantasy movies and science fiction movies and horror films from one point of view, and there's a pervasive point of view mm-hmm. in horror. Mm-hmm. And the more that I work in that genre, genre, I hate the more I do that, I realize that there has been a kind of a standard that was set. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's one of the reasons I like watching horror movies with subtitles, because it means I'm not going to have seen this before. Right. Well, also... I mean, unless it's the original uh, of a version that I saw the American remake of, which is a thing that happens kind of a lot. In the early days of science fiction, when pulp science fiction magazines were being produced, uh, there was one editor who made it his... Uh, Campbell, who made it his job to say, if you're submitting stories to my science fiction magazine, which was the most popular one at the time, um, with the widest reach, you have to fit into these categories. It has to be, there has to be some notion about the superiority of human beings as opposed to other alien beings. Uh, there has to be some sort of notion of treating space as a version of westward expansion. There were certain themes that he would re-edit your stories to and include. that's why you start your own magazine, because mm-hmm. yuck, that is gross. And there were some authors, thing. for better or for worse, who actually pulled back from that and said, no, I'm not going to publish with you, despite your wide readership, because I don't believe in those things. Right. Um, and so there was that, and I feel that in some ways there's a lot of kind of gatekeepers for horror, too. Of course. In particular, when you look at the sort of Lovecraft circle. And it's typically told about the horrors of miscegenation, the horrors of of invasion by other races, right. of things like that. And I think that, that um, that's kind of beginning to go away. Yeah. And so what I appreciated about this, like His House, is... Um, like the film, right. His House. The film, His House. <laughs> Sorry, it's a real bad title. <laughs> is that it really starts looking at the story from another point of view. And there are so many points of view to tell these stories from. And if you do that, it won't become so repetitive. Because we're just listening to the same thing over and over and over mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so do you have a choice? Uh, yes, I do. And I'm uh, along the same lines, it is also a horror movie that is... Uh, it is a white version of a native horror story. And that is Antlers. I oh, don't yeah. think we talked about it. We did uh, buy it. <laughs> to watch i wanted to see it through 2019 when we were seeing ads for it all of the time and then of course the world stopped and it didn't get released wide and then it did get released wide but i wasn't going to a theater so um 
we rented it, watched it. We didn't rent it. I bought it. Mm -hmm. I own it. Um, I did like it very much. Uh, We got the thing with all the extra features, so there's extra features to watch, but we haven't done that yet. Uh, But I enjoyed it because, once again, it is a... It is an it is an indigenous American story, mm-hmm. the Wendigo, uh, which we've touched on in the Stephen King universe right. uh, via Pet Cemetery. Um, uh, whether or not that's actually Wendigo or it's Wendigo like, right. <laughs> uh, but this is probably legitimate Wendigo. But it's really good. I liked it a lot. The it is um, viscerally yes gory like. There's a there's lot of viscera. body horror, <laughs> yeah. and there's a because the the Wendigo story, even back to indigenous peoples' myths, is about cannibalism. Right, and so cannibalism, yes, it's about cannibalism. It's also um, got right. that note of um, body snatcher. Right, this is which my is, loved one, right. but it is not my loved one. Which is very much what the Algernon Blackwood story, which is how most people uh, became associated with the sort of Wendigo story was because of Blackwood and his incredibly creepy story that really was a, did a, I mean, he was not a very, uh, he was a man of his time in terms of people of other ethnicities and ideas, but he did introduce this idea really to the, the world at large or the Canadian and American world. And, mm-hmm. and yes, in a really terrifying yeah. story because you realize that there's other things. What story is that? The Wendigo. It's just called The Wendigo. I, yeah. I have not read it, so. Yeah. There's other things out there, and they're not necessarily from European stories or fairy tales, and they're horrifying. Yeah, there's horrifying. a great line that they used in the trailer uh-huh. where, you know, they're trying to figure out what this thing is, and they're like, they talk to the native person because the it's native Graham person Green. might and know, mm-hmm. and the native person's like, yeah, that's Wendigo, and they're like, well, that's myth, and, <laughs> and Graham Green just straight looks at him and goes, to you. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, that's how this works, dum-dum. <laughs> so I really liked Antlers. I thought it was quite good, and uh, I recommend it. Okay. Good. All right, so next week we're going to talk about the second half of our, or we're going to do the second half of our Stephen King mm-hmm. wrap-up, and we're going to talk about what we're doing next right. season, uh, which, spoiler, well, not spoiler, here's a hint, hint. Is we're going we're gonna to lean on the AFI pretty heavily. Now, what does AFI mean? That's up to you. Google it. Yes, it's literally very easy to figure out. Um, so we're, but we're, we'll get into what we're going to do next week, uh, and then further the week after that. Um, but until then, uh, you can find us, follow us, you can email us, uh, latecomerspod at gmail You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching latecomerspodcast in the search bar. I would like to remind you to please take your medicine including any and all vaccines that you may be eligible for. Yes. And we would like to remind you... Better better late late than never. never.